I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, y'all. Welcome to the Girlfriend's Guide to Sports podcast. My name is Claire Coles. And this is your weekly update. It's Monday, January 30th. Let's start with what you missed over the last week. Then we'll move on to what to watch this upcoming week in the world of sports. All right, welcome back. It is a lovely, snowy, icy day here in Dallas, Texas. So, and we're going to get started with some NBA basketball because Giannis Antetokounmpo scored 50 points for the second time this month and the fifth regular season game time of his entire career. This is the first time the Greek freak has scored 50 points in multiple games in the same season, let alone the same month. Sticking with that kind of thought process on who had amazing games this week. Embiid has now tied Michael Jordan for the most games with 40 points and 10 rebounds at 33 games in his career. So look to see that going forward. He will further that record. The Lakers lost to the Celtics on Saturday to snap Boston's three-game losing streak, but that's not why it was making headlines. It was because the refs missed a foul on Jason Tatum for fouling LeBron. LeBron then would have gone to the free-throw line with a chance to win for the Lakers as the game was tied 105-105. to L.A. then proceeded to lose in overtime 125-121. to the union of referees have said that this was a actual mistake. They should have called the foul on Tatum. So LeBron would have gone to the free throw line and all of this would have happened. So it's not just LeBron whining like he usually does. This was actually justified. Now, and I actually started out 
typing the story, the next story, which is LeBron and Anthony Davis will both miss the Lakers game tonight versus the Nets. I thought it literally was because he was so upset about the game <laughs> against Boston on Saturday. It is not. It is because he, LeBron, is facing foot soreness, and then Anthony Davis is trying to rest an ankle potential injury. So reason why more Lakers fans should care that LeBron is sitting out is more than Lakers fans should care. LeBron is just 117 points shy of breaking Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's number one spot on the all-time scoring list. So they had it all calculated out with LeBron's average and all of this, and it was supposed to happen, I believe, against the Magic. I can't remember which, which game they said, but obviously this throws it off by a game, so that's why... More people should care than just Lakers fans. Moving along to NCAA basketball. This week, not as crazy as the last couple of weeks, but we started off the week pretty strong. Number 17, Baylor beat the number nine Jayhawks, which is Kansas's third straight loss. Both are now five and three in the Big 12. Also on Monday, Nevada beat number 25, New Mexico, in overtime. Number five, Kansas State lost its ranked battle to number 12, Iowa State, after the Cyclones put up 49 points in the second half. For a slow start, number 13, Xavier, versus number 19, UConn, ended up scoring a ton of points in the second half, and despite putting up 55 points, the Huskies lost. Texas A&M handed number 15, Auburn, their first loss at home, winning 79-63. to Number eight, UCLA lost to its L.A. rival, USC, by 13. Then on Saturday, we had the SEC versus Big 12 Challenge, and this year, the Big 12 took the title back. Starting with the biggest upset of the day was number two, Alabama. They go down to unranked Oklahoma, 93-69. to Nine. Sooner fans stormed the court after the game. Alabama had literally not trailed by more than 17 points all season, and they trailed by 18 at half. That loss is also the largest margin of defeat for a top two team ever by an unranked team. Unlike Alabama, number four, Tennessee, did their job beating number 10, Texas Longhorns, by double digits. Number 11, TCU, fell to Mississippi State in overtime. Number 12, Iowa State had a letdown game after beating Kansas State. This time they lost to Mizzou. And West Virginia then beat number 15, Auburn, who lost twice this week to unranked teams. That is what kind of summarized the upsets within the SEC Big 12 Challenge. And number 13, Xavier avoided upset earlier in the week, but the Creighton Blue Jays spoiled the weekend, beating Xavier 84-67. to Number 18, Charleston lost to Hofstra by four, which snaps their 20-game win streak. Now the longest active streak is by FAU at 20. And then speaking of number 20, number 20, Miami lost to Pitt by three. There is a little bit of college football news this week. Uh, it actually just happened over the weekend. Georgia quarterback Stenson Bennett is back in the news, but not for football activities this time. This time he was getting arrested for public intoxication in Dallas on Sunday morning. He was reportedly drunkenly banging on doors early Sunday morning in East Dallas, not that far away from Deep Ellum, so no surprise as to what he was probably doing, you know, there are worse things. 
The biggest story, though, is that the Super Bowl is set. The Philadelphia Eagles will play the Kansas City Chiefs on February 12th at 5.30 p.m. Mark your calendars. It will feature the first pair of brothers to face each other in the big game. Chiefs tight end Travis Kelsey and his brother Jason, who plays center for the Eagles. This is also the first time that two starting black quarterbacks will face off in the Super Bowl. So what happened over the weekend? So let's to start with the Eagles game because the Eagles had an easy go of their game winning 31 to 7. It was 7 to 7 until the final 2 minutes of the half. The Eagles were able to score a rushing touchdown, very normal, just to take the lead. And by that point, Niners quarterback Brock Purdy had already been out of the game. I will go into that more in depth later. Johnson was the new quarterback, and he was playing, and he fumbled the snap on their own 36. Eagles recovered and scored another quick touchdown all before halftime with injuries and then penalties. Basically, the 49ers just got frustrated and started making dumb mistakes and dumb penalties, and they just had no chance. On the other end of the spectrum, the Chiefs-Bengals game was close, and it came down to the final minutes. No surprise there as the line went from Kansas City favored by two and a half to Cincinnati favored by two and a half at one point, and it landed somewhere in the middle before game time. So not super surprised that this game was close. The teams traded points the entire game with great quarterback play on both sides. We had nothing but field goals until about 3.53 left in the half when Mahomes connected with shocker tight end Travis Kelsey for the first touchdown of the game. Kansas City went into half up 13-6, to but we were tied early in the third, 13-13, and again early in the fourth, 20-20. to then Burrow threw an interception with nine minutes left to go in the entire game, and you thought that might be it, but Kansas City did nothing with it. Then the Bengals get the ball back with 2.30 to go. This is what they call the two-minute drill. Usually it's only with two minutes to go, but 2.30 is pretty close. They could only get 22 yards, though, and thus had to punt. Now Kansas City gets a chance, but there's only 30 seconds left on the clock to get within field goal range. On third and four, Mahomes scrambled for a first down, got it, and with 17 seconds left on the clock to boot. But while Mahomes was clearly out of bounds, a Cincinnati defender pushed the quarterback further, drawing an unnecessary roughness penalty for an extra 15 yards that put the Kansas City team into field goal range, which they kicked successfully with three seconds left. So that's how the two games went down. And thus you have your NFC and AFC champions. So let's go back to the Niners for a minute. So quarterback Brock Purdy, Mr. Quote unquote irrelevant, suffered a torn ulnar collateral ligament on the sixth snap of the game. Basically, in layman's terms, he had an elbow injury and was pulled from the game. That left the San Francisco team with their fourth string signal caller, Josh Johnson. You've probably never heard of him, and there's probably a good reason for that. He was then ruled out of the game in the third quarter with a concussion. So then Brock Purdy came back in like a champ. He finished four for four for completion. So that's a hundred percent completion rate, but only for 23 yards. That is the lowest average yards per attempt by a playoff starting quarterback since 2006. But can you really blame him? 
So the 49ers were, like I said, just plagued by injuries. Their starting quarterback, Trey Lance, went out. Then Garoppolo went out. Now Brock Purdy went out. So it just was not meant to be, unfortunately, for them. The NFL also announced a new salary cap, and it will be $224.8 million. That is for the 2023 season and an increase of $16.6 million year over year. Teams can negotiate with unrestricted free agents as early as March 13th, which is two days before the league year technically begins on the Ides of March. How fortuitous. So who's in the best shape? The Bears currently have the most room before they hit their cap with $91 million available. On the flip side of that, the Saints are $58 million over that cap. That is not including the 16.6 that they were supposed to be over of last year's. They will have to cut $58 million by that March 15th deadline. Really quick, I'm going to go through some golf news. Sam Ryder looked to go wire to wire in the Farmers Insurance Open, but not what Californian Max Homa had anything to say about that. John Rahm was also in the running on the final day, but he blew up early, so blowing his chance to become world number one this week. Homa was five shots off the lead going into the final round, but he shot a six under 66 and took the lead on the 12th hole. This is his sixth PGA Tour title, but his first as a dad. Also this week on the Twitterverse, you may have seen the feud going between Patrick Reed and Rory McIlroy. That was actually at the Dubai Classic, so not one of the PGA Tour events. That was because the Live Tour Patrick Reed got to compete, and there was a whole bunch of just basically child pettiness let's put it frankly so and that is kind of what that story was it just went back and forth like Patrick Reed threw a tee at Rory or something like that and it was really just a casual toss away and then of course Patrick Reed had a controversial play during the actual tournament so that was kind of the like lead up of what all of this kind of came to fruition in Dubai. Moving along to Olympic sports Michaela Schifrin is now just one win away from tying Sweden's star Ingemarg Stenmark's mark of 86 World Cup titles. She added three straight titles to her belt this week with the slaloms in Italy, a pair of those, and then another in, uh, on Saturday in Czechoslovakia or Czech Republic. She will compete next at the end of February, but that will be a downhill and then a super G. The next slalom isn't until March 10th. Schifrin has 11 titles so far this season. She's only had two seasons better than that, one with 12 titles, which was 2017 to 2018, and a record 17 in 2018 to 2019. There are only four stops left on the World Cup Tour. That being said, each place has a number of races, so it doesn't mean just four races left. That means four stops. We also had U.S. figure skating championships this weekend, and there was no surprise really on any of those fronts, but definitely not on the men's side as Ilya Melanin took gold with three quads in his free skate. He won by 10 points. Another expected win was Madison Chalk and Evan Bates atop the medal podium in the ice dancing competition. This was their fourth U.S. gold, but their first as a newly engaged couple. They have medals from the last 11 straight years at nationals, and that is tied for the most consecutive 
ever. Alexa Kinnearum and Brandon Fazier won the pairs, which was a nice comeback from last year when they went to nationals and then had to withdraw due to COVID. On the women's side, 15-year-old Isabeau Levito earned her first Nationals gold by 10 points over the two-time national champ Brady Tunnell. Tunnell came back from a foot injury, so it really was just nice to see her back on the ice and even better, the podium. Levito might be new to some of you, but she is the reigning junior world champ and got third at senior nationals last year when she made her debut. So she did come into the competition as the favorite. So not a whole lot of upsets in U.S. nationals figure skating. And then to wrap up the week, the Australian Open is now over, and we have a veteran as the men's champ in, you guessed it, Novak Djokovic. And a newbie on the women's side, Belarusian Arena Sabalinka, beat the Wimbledon champ, Kazakhstan Alina Rabakina, in three sets. It was not a long match either, with seven of the first 13 points being scored by aces. Sabalinka was either all or nothing on her serves, as she had 17 aces in the final to overcome the seven double faults she also had. Sabalinka was now number two in the world. Djokovic won his 10th Australian Open over Greeks Tsitsipas in straight sets. Now, to be fair, those straight sets, two of them did go to tiebreakers. And this also ties Djokovic with Nadal at 22 Grand Slam titles and moves him to number one in the world. So that wraps up what happened over the last week. Let's go on to what to watch this upcoming week as we have officially no football as far as NFL or college football goes. So what's the main focus? Basketball. NBA this week, Tuesday, Lakers at the Knicks at 6.30 p.m. on TNT, followed by the Pelicans at the Nuggets at 9. On Wednesday, catch the Nets at the Celtics at 6.30 on ESPN. That is number four versus number one in the East, so ought to be a pretty good game there, followed by the Hawks at the Suns at 9. Thursday, catch the Grizzlies at the Cavaliers at 6.30 p.m. on TNT, then the Clippers at the Bucks at 9 and that is the fourth in the West versus the third in the East. So that ought to be a close game as they ought to be relatively evenly matched. Same for Saturday's game, the Mavericks at the Warriors at 7.30 p.m. on ABC. That is six versus seven in the West. And then on Sunday, catch the 76ers at the Knicks at 5 p.m. on ESPN. As for NCAA basketball, you know the drill. The ranked first ranked matchups begin on Monday with number 11 Baylor at number 10 Texas at 8 p.m. on ESPN. We then have another Big 12 matchup on Tuesday, number 7 Kansas State at number 8 Kansas. So the battle for Kansas's state at 7 p.m. That will be on ESPN+. Plus. On Wednesday, the battle in the Big East, number 17 Providence at number 16 Xavier. They will show that at 5.30 p.m. on Fox Sports 1. Then we have other games, but no ranked first-ranked matchups until Saturday. And Saturday, you kind of get one from almost every conference. You do start with number 8, Kansas, at number 13, Iowa State, at 11 o'clock a.m. on ESPN to start in the Big 12. Then followed with an SEC matchup, number 25, Auburn. Can't believe they're still ranked after losing twice to unranked teams last week at number 2, 
Tennessee that they will play at 1 p.m. also on ESPN. Then you go to the ACC, number 23, Miami, at number 20, Clemson. They play at 2 on ACC Network. Into the Big Ten is number 1, Purdue, at number 21, Indiana, at 3 p.m. on ESPN. That is a tough place to play. Don't be super surprised if number 1 goes down at Indiana. Back to the Big 12 with number 10, Texas, at number 7, Kansas State, at 3 p.m. on ESPN2. And we even have a West Coast ranked versus ranked matchup on Saturday. Number 12, Gonzaga, at number 18, St. Mary's, at 9.30 p.m. on ESPN. So those round, those round out all the ranked versus ranked matchups of the week. Obviously, there are always more, and please check out the blog for those. I actually, there is a little bit of football going on this week, but it's the Pro Bowl. So it is those who were nominated for first string. Basically, you have enough players to make up a full roster on each side. So the AFC versus the NFC, basically what the Super Bowl is going to be. But each player is picked based on who is the best at their position on each of those conferences. So that will play on ESPN and ABC at 2 p.m. on Sunday. That is our only football event of the weekend. But we do pick up a little bit with golf as we've got the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am. That will be round one on Thursday at 2 p.m. on Golf Channel. Friday will be round two, same time. And then on Saturday, catch round three beginning at noon on Golf Channel. And then it changes over to CBS at two. The final round will be on Sunday at the same times. For hockey, we also have Wednesday, the Hurricanes at the Sabres at 6.30 p.m. on TNT. That rounds up all the week because then we've got basically the all-star game going on. So Saturday is the Central versus Pacific at 2 on ABC. Then the Metro versus Atlantic at 3 p.m. on ABC. For those of you who don't know, that is the division names for the NHL. So it's not just North, South, East, West. It's Central Pacific, Metro, and Atlantic. Then you've got the winner of those games going to play each other at 4 p.m. on ABC. So that's why there's not a lot of hockey games going on this week. We do have some Olympic sports. They don't begin until Friday. We've got women's gymnastics, Auburn versus Alabama at 6.30 p.m. on SEC Network, followed by Georgia at LSU at 8 o'clock. Then on Saturday, catch freestyle skiing and snowboarding, the FIS World Cup. That will be at 2 p.m. on NBC, followed by track and field at Three. Then you can catch figure skating at 1 p.m. on NBC. That will be in Estonia, followed by California. Figure skating at 3 p.m. on NBC as well. We do have a couple of soccer games, but as you know, I don't usually put those out onto the podcast. That is all Premier League games. That wraps it up for me this week. Don't forget, if you do like the podcast, go ahead and like it and leave a comment. I would greatly appreciate it, but I do appreciate all of y'all who do listen on a week-to-week basis. Check out the blog, The Girlfriend's Guide to Sports, for more as always, and I'll catch y'all next week.